For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The word of God for the people of God. Read question 29 with me. How can we be saved? Only by faith in Jesus Christ and in his substitutionary atoning death on the cross. So even though we are guilty of having disobeyed God and are still inclined to all evil, nevertheless, God, without any merit of our own, but only by pure grace, imputes to us the perfect righteousness of Christ when we repent and believe in him. Thank you, Keely. Today, we are moving through our foundational questions in the Bible, and we ask one of the most important questions that we could ever ask in this life or for the life to come. Pretty big question, huh? How can we be saved? Our scripture text answers that, and our catechism answer gives a little broader summary, but today we'll specifically look at this text and ask, ask the question, what must I do to be saved? We see this question asked in different points of the Bible. In uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 30 through 31, the in Philippi, the jailer there asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Again, that's the best question that you could ever ask in your life. And I want you to, even though maybe you have asked that question and feel like you have answered it, I want you to follow me just deeper into the gospel and the effects of what our salvation means to us. You see, from the time that we first believed, we've grown and matured and been able to answer in deeper and more meaningful ways what God did when he saved us. Amen? So we can grow in the gospel. I need to hear this question asked today. I need to remember and grow in my faith and what happened when I was saved. I need this. I need to hear the gospel. And this question I'm asking today myself. What must I do to be saved? And the first portion of our scripture we'll look at is for by grace. So we'll look at for by grace, through faith, and we'll look some at what it looks like not by works, and why it ends with boasting, what that boasting is about. That's where we're headed. Our first point is for by grace. For by grace you have been saved. For by grace. We sing about grace today. It is beautiful. It is a, a, a favorite topic to talk about. Just think of grace. People sing about grace. They sing about the beauty of grace. So when we talk about salvation, how can we be saved we say grace, for by grace. Our church says, for by grace alone. 
our catechism answer said, without any merit of our own, but only by pure grace, without any merit of our own. This is a hard thing to grasp and understand with any, without any merit of mine. No good in me, no good that I do, because the world and our culture today is very much giving us a message that you are good, there is some good within you, and what you need to do is take that goodness and make yourself better and better and better. That's the message of the world. When we come to saying, talking about children of God, they in the world and our culture might say, well, everyone's a child of God. But the Bible does not say this, nor does it teach it. It says that you are earlier in Ephesians, here's what it looks like to be without merit, without good in you. Ephesians 2, 1, before this verse said, you were dead in your offenses and sins. So it calls you an offender and a sinner. This is who you are. It says, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Calls you sons of disobedience. Yes, girls and boys, men and women, you are sons of disobedience. And he says, among them, we too all, listen to that, there's a little bit of good news in here in the sense that we're all in the same boat. We too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature, here's our nature, children of wrath. And here's again a little bit of the, of the I call a little bit of the good news, just as the rest. So all, all of us are this. It's not calling out one person worse than the other. It's saying we're all children of wrath and sons of disobedience. So the Bible says something very different than the world. It says you're dead. You have no merit. You have no goodness. And the world says you do have merit. You're basically good. Just take some effort and take that goodness and let's work on that. And in fact, all other religions do that. All other religions say there is some good within you. Let's work and build upon these steps and become better. And here's where you're at, and let's start taking these steps. And the sad thing is, is that Christianity has fallen into that same pit of moralism, of just doing good things. You're good, let's just show you how to be better. And this is not what the Bible teaches. We have sins and offenses, and we're by nature children of wrath. Other portions of Scripture in say this too, that all have sinned, just as the rest. All of us are in that sinful place. The great book of Romans, in chapter 3, Paul arrives at his discourse in explaining the gospel, and in verses 9 through 10, he says, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. He's quoting out of the Old Testament there. And he comes to a summary in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. This Ephesians, just like the rest, were sons of disobedience, children deserving God's wrath. But John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, to who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, there's a way and a means by which we become children of God, and that's what we're preaching and teaching on today. How do we become children of God? We're not children of God. And we see here from John's gospel that we do it by receiving him, and him is Christ, and believing on his name. And by receiving and believing on him, we become, we are given the right to become children of God. And that first part is receiving. It's receiving a gift, and that's what grace is. It is a gift offered by God, and that gift is more than just unmerited favor, more than a definition of a word. It is a person, and it is the person of Christ, and God is offering Jesus Christ to us today, every one of us, and we need him today desperately. Oh, I, I got him. You know, I, I got that. I received that gift. We need his gift every day. I need this gift desperately. I need to say, what do I need to be saved today? How do I need to be endured to the end of my salvation? And he's like, you need Jesus today. When your feet got out of bed and hit the floor, you needed Jesus. And you needed him desperately and more desperately than you can imagine that you needed him. And the Bible's trying to bring that out. You're dead. You're dead in your sins and trespasses. You're separated from God without Jesus. And we need an act of grace. For by grace are you saved. And that grace saves me and keeps me every day. Paul wants us to know this and he wants to teach it. He wants to hammer it into our souls. So we've all sinned. We're not all children of God, but we can become children of God by this receiving this gift offered to us. And that's where Ephesians goes on to say, but God, in verse 4 of chapter 2, leading up to our scripture, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. Do you love that? With his great love, which he loved us. He's a God who is rich in mercy. When we were dead, in our wrongdoings, dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Yeah, that's what I want to shout. <laughs> I want to go, yes! By grace you have been saved. Made us alive together with Christ. But he's saying God being rich in mercy. I like mercy and I love God's mercy. God's mercy is, is uh, not giving us something. Grace is like giving us something. We're going to get to that. But he's like starts with mercy. Mercy is like not giving us something. Mercy is not giving us the penalty that is really due us. Mercy comes out um, in several ways. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 18. He talks about the kingdom of heaven being compared to a king who wished to settle accounts. Okay, we're going to settle accounts. Kings bringing people before to settle accounts. And when he began to settle those accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now, 
If you worked all of your life in this day and age, and you worked hard and you were healthy, making a denarius a day, you might make in your life one talent your whole life. Be like maybe today you're hoping in your lifetime of work and labors you can make a million dollars with your whole life. But the debt is huge, isn't it? 10,000 talents. 10,000 lifetimes of making a talent a lifetime wouldn't pay this debt. So you, it's a huge debt that's owed to the king that this servant owes. But God shows mercy. God shows mercy. He has sorrow for him. He has pity for him. And that servant is released and forgiven the debt. Can you imagine? Oh my gosh, the joy, the weight lifted off your shoulders that would be. This, this is asked in the context of Peter saying, how many times do we have to forgive our brother when he sins against us? And this servant goes out and chokes the first guy that owes him a hundred denarii. That means this could be paid back in basically a hundred days what he owes him. And remember what he owed the king? That couldn't be paid back in 10,000 lifetimes, not just a hundred days of labor. And he says, pay me back. And he chokes him and he says, you're going to jail until you pay me back every, I'm going to throw in, red cent. Remember those copper pennies that used to be worth something? But of minimal amount. And Jesus is saying, you've been forgiven so much. You don't understand, Peter, when you ask me how many times you have to forgive your brother. Because you know why? You don't understand how much you've been forgiven. And this is why we ask this question today. What must I do to be saved? And what was it when I was saved? What happened? And Jesus is saying, you were brought before a king on the day that counts were settled. And I want to tell you, Peter, how much you owed. You owed 10,000 talents. An unpayable amount back in your lifetime. In 10,000 lifetimes, you couldn't pay back what God has forgiven you. Peter doesn't have that clue, does he? I'm a great man. Jesus picked me out. You know, I'm a doing all, all the good for God. He's, he picked me because I'm his favorite, you know? And he's like, you don't understand what happened at your salvation. You don't realize the debt that you owed. And that's what we want to dig in today. We want to realize and we want to come to realize and we want others to come to realize in some sense that we need grace. For by grace are you saved. God's rich in mercy. He doesn't give you what you deserve. He forgives that penalty. But above that, he gives you grace. And the scriptures go on and say that you're not only made alive with Christ, but Ephesians 2.6 says you're raised up with him, you're seated with him in heavenly places. With Christ, in Christ. And the scripture goes on to say, so that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of what? Your work, how good you were, what you did good, what, what you merited this for. Well, that's why I saved this person, because he merited it. There was some good that I saw in him. No, for ages and ages and ages to come, that he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For ages and ages to come, it will never be about what you did. It will be about what Christ did. 
for ages to come. It will be about the glorious, boundless, immeasurable riches of his grace forever and ever. And you will never discover, I don't think, the depths of the riches of his grace. And why don't we plumb them now? Why don't we ask this question? How much do I need you? What do I need to, to, to know that I'm saved today in you, God? I'm good. I got it. I'm a rugged individualist. I can handle it on my own. I can do it. I'll make my own way. I'm doing pretty good. Jesus wants us to be desperately in need of him for every day. Not to have our own merit, our own confidence, our own, yeah, you saved me then and I'll take it from here, God. He wants us to grow more in need of him. A, a deeper revelation of what the answer to that question is, what must I do to be saved? I, I thought I owed a hundred denarii, man. I thought I owed a talent. I thought if I gave my whole life and worked for you, I might get there. You owe 10,000 talents. Not one talent. What? I thought I was, you know? No. His grace is immeasurable. It is boundless. It's beautiful. It is Jesus. <laughs> in the ages to come, he'll show us boundless kindness to us in Christ. What are we looking at? What are we trying to understand about our lostness and what it takes for him to save us? How can I be saved? You're dead. I must be made alive. But made alive how? In another person? You mean I can't do it? No, you can't. You can't ever merit being saved. There's no good in you. You're dead like all the rest of humanity. Nothing in your hands you bring. No, nothing but to the cross you must cling. We sing songs like that. I can't merit being saved a tiny bit. You mean I can, with your grace, add a little bit. Like 9,000 talents is yours, Jesus, but let me add that one last thousand talents. No. No, you can't add anything. Receive this gift, this pure grace. You can't add anything to it. To add to it is to say what Christ did at the cross wasn't sufficient for your redemption. You can't add one tiny bit in our a catechism answered today by Charles Spurgeon. He said, you can't add one jot and tittle, for you older folks that like that term. You can't add one jot and tittle, not one little addition. And to do so is to say Christ's death is insufficient for your redemption. It is to mar grace. And we're talking right now that you're saved through grace, and that grace is pure, and it has no taint of your flesh putting any effort or merit into it bounding his grace is boundless it is it keeps abounding to us and see this is what i want to say to you believers the grace is abounding to you today it's abounding to you more and more and more and more we need this grace this grace that keeps giving not just i got saved and i got my ticket to heaven and i don't have to go to hell i'm good no we need his grace every day that abounds to us this is the kind of christianity that jesus taught and that paul the apostle is teaching here you need a grace that's immeasurable that is boundless that means it keeps bounding to you the kids like seeing deer and elk walk into our yard the other day we had pretty nice size bull elk come into our yard. Samuel came rushing out, saw it out the window. 
And it was just eating, just moving, didn't care where you were, didn't even care. It was just eating. And you can see that big animal get to a little fence like our little fence and just go, boing, just bound over it. Like, how did you just move that 700-pound body like that? That's hard. And deer do it. They come running. They eat the apples in our neighbor's yard, and then they, t they take off, and they go boing, 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 and just bounce over all the fences. And you're like, that didn't slow them down one bit. And nothing slows down the grace of God towards you who believe. He's bounding towards you. And that's what grace is. It's God coming after you with his great love. A love that John, I think, talked about well. He was the disciple in whom Jesus loved, you know. That's how he referred to himself because he got it. Tell you who I am and I'll define myself this way. The disciple in whom Jesus loved. He wasn't arrogant in that either. He understood grace. And in John 17 when Jesus is praying this high priestly prayer. He says, I in them and you in me that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. You could sit there for eternity on that even as you loved me and try to soak that in. Jesus is praying that. I want you to love these people like you love me, Father. I've been thinking for, you know, at least for the last 10 years on that. And I can't say it every day often enough to say, you mean to tell me that you love me, God, like you love Jesus. Well, didn't you love him forever and all eternity? Aren't you love? You're inviting me into that kind of love. Yes. Become perfectly one. I in them and you in me and me in them. That's some wondrous mystery talk like we sang about today. He imputes righteousness to you. That's what grace is. He counts what Christ did. Christ did it. You didn't. And then he takes what Christ did and imputes it to you. He reckons it to you. He counts it to you. He attributes it like you did it. And then he loves you like Jesus. Like you're Jesus. The Father loves you like that. He credits you. That's impute. He just gives it to you like a gift of grace. You receive that gift, you're mine, all mine. You're my child. And you know what stage you're at? You're at this little stage of like, and he loves you like that. And he loves you. And you know how language kind of develops? The parents don't go up and go, 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 you know, they don't. They go up and say, you're going to go with us today. We're getting you packed up. We got to change your diaper first. And they're like going, go, 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 go. And you're like, yep, we're going to get up and we're going to go. They're already talking to their kids like they understand them. And Jesus is already talking to you at the initiation of your new birth like you're already there. This is a strange thing, you know, to say, to Peter after he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Another very top question, who do you say I am? That's what we're asking. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? 
Peter gets it right, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. This pure grace is working in your life. Jesus ain't even taking credit for it. He's like, no, no flesh and blood revealed this to you. It's a supernatural encounter through the Spirit of God with the truth, you know, of the message preached that you're believing and trusting in. And then he says, you are Peter. Well, that's a weird thing. Does Peter not know he's Peter? <laughs> you are Peter. It's like a little baby going, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he goes, yeah. And now I'm going to start telling you all you're going to do right now. Just like a parent talking over their little baby that's Googling and gogging. You are Peter. And I'm going to build something on you. What? I barely just received this grace. I mean, what are you talking about? The, you know, hell itself will not prevail against the revelation of who and what you just said, Peter. You're saved and no gates of hell are going to prevail against you and against the, the church that I build. I'm building something through you, Peter. Can you imagine going, goo goo ga 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 get the earth, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then all of a sudden, you are Peter, and I'm just like, but it's like what we do with our children. Like, you're saved. And you can understand this language, even though you can't yet, but you will. And they do, don't they? Well, the kids start learning, picking up that language fast, man. They want, they're just like looking, and then if they have an older sibling, they start talking, and they start looking at them, and mm, man, I want to say those things too. You know, and they just, they're called to it. Grace just woos us into wanting to be God's child without any merit of our own. He has made us alive and seated us by grace, pure grace, pure grace, sheer grace through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Through faith. How can we be saved? It's through faith. It's only by faith, our catechism question and answer started, only by faith in Jesus Christ and in his substitutionary atoning death on the cross. It's pointing us in that summary of our faith, that our faith is in something, it's in Jesus. Tim Keller said this, it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Your faith isn't saving you, Jesus is saving you. It's not, does that make sense to you? It's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. So that's the first thing I want to say. It's faith in Jesus. He saves us through faith, through trust in something. You see, a lot of people say, I have faith. That's a real popular term in our culture. Oh, I have a lot of faith. I'm glad you have faith. I have faith too. And in our catechism commentary, Kevin DeYoung says this, many people wax on and wax off about faith and how much they believe. And they'll say, I'm a person of faith too. you got to have faith. But faith by itself doesn't mean anything. It is the object of the faith that saves us. It's not being a person who has strong beliefs, who is sincere, or has a mystical belief in spiritual things that saves us. It's faith in Jesus Christ. He's the object. It's the object of our faith that saves us. Faith is only the instrument. It is not the one good deed that God says 
oh, I see that you had this faith. Now I see it. That's your good deed. That's your one talent to the 10,000 talents. Well, you don't have that much going for you, but you do have a little bit of faith, and I really like that. No, faith joins us to Christ, and then it saves us. It's the object that matters. He gives an analogy of going out and skating on ice, and he said, it's not how much faith me and my buddies have going out playing hockey out on the ice. It's not how much faith we have. It's how thick that ice is. And they want to know that it's a, you know, a couple inches or six inches thick. Then they have confidence in it. Confidence in it. It's not their faith. It's the object of how thick the ice is. And it's, it's who Jesus is. See, grace is about who Jesus is. And the faith that you have is a faith in someone. It's about who Jesus is that you hold your faith in. And he concludes in Ephesians 2.9, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Interesting, he's comparing all of this, all of this grace, all of this through faith, to that it's not works. Again, not a result of works, not a result of your merit, so that no one may boast. Because if it's any of your merit, you can boast. You can say, I did this. Boasting is saying, I did this. I did this part of it. And God will not allow any of that. He will allow zero, not point zero, 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 infinity, point one. It's pure grace. It's through faith in Christ, not in you. Not as a result of works that anyone should boast. Romans 3, 26 through 28 says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's just in doing it, and he is the justifier who has faith in Jesus. Then, what becomes of our boasting? Verse 27 of Romans chapter 3 says, It is excluded. All boasting is excluded because it's by grace alone through faith alone. It's excluded. And he asked the next question, by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Apart from works. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You're boasting in that God gave the gift of his son and you said, yes, I receive it. You're boasting in that. You can't. There's no boasting. You received it. You received it freely. But if you earned some of it, if it was by any works of yourself, then you can take credit and boast. But there is no credit for us. It is all grace through faith. That's how you're saved. Galatians 6.14 says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to boast in something? Boast in the cross by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God and it is not a result of works lest anyone should boast. We're saved that way without any boasting. If you want to boast, Boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. 
because he is credited to you through his substitutionary and atoning death on that cross, his very righteousness, all by a gift of his wondrous grace. The gospel I'm presenting to you today, Tim Keller summed up in this quote, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we could ever dare hope. It's that. It is that. So when we come and we sing right now, we're going to sing Jesus Messiah. Is that right? Closing song? Yep. It's going to open up like this. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross Love so amazing, love so amazing, Jesus Messiah. And that sums up my sermon. Amen. Praise the Lord. Jesus wants us to remember how great our salvation is, and he wants us to plumb the depths of his grace, his great love toward us. And he wants us to remember, and one of the ways we remember is through responding to the message by coming to the Lord's table. This is a response to what you've heard. We're more flawed than we could ever believe, but we're more loved by God then we could dare hope. And at the Lord's table, he told us to do this in remembrance of him and to remember his death until he returns. He hasn't returned yet. And we're still remembering his death and the bountiful grace that's abounding to us every day in this dark and lost world. He continues to abound and his grace toward us. And Paul taught to the Corinthians, he said in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks to the Father for it. And he said, this is my body, take and eat of it and do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake and remember the Lord's body. Jesus, we remember your body that was broken for us, that was bruised for our iniquities, that was crushed for our transgressions. And we thank you. We see your bruised body and the way you were crushed. And we see you as beautiful because we see your boundless grace toward us, that that was what we deserved and you were taking it in our place and you freely lay it upon us. So we thank you for your bruised body, your body that was broken for us. And we remember you until you return. In the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood 
of the new covenant, the cup of the new covenant and my blood given for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together of the cup. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your shed blood. Thank you, Father God, for your great love that gave us the gift of your Son, the greatest gift and the greatest price that could ever be paid to forgive us of our sins and to take away all the wrath that you have against sin and bring us into peace with you, God, that you love us as your child, you make us your children, and you make us your heir. What a glorious gospel. We praise you and thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Let us worship him.
Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Um, I think Karen and, and Rifle will be available for prayer up front. A lot of times I forget to mention that. But just if you need prayer for any reason or just to respond to the message, they'll be up here. But please receive this benediction. You are blessed in God's boundless grace in Christ. Go in the fuel of his great love to be poured out to others in that overflowing love. In Jesus' name, amen. Love one another. like